Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 43. This week, we talked to Scott Hanselman about ASP.NET vNext, community, and more. The best new Windows Phone 10 features in six GIFs. And you don't know JS, the book. Hey, Carl, we have a great guest this week. We have Scott Hanselman, Principal Program Manager on the ASP.NET team at Microsoft, blogger at Hanselman.com, and host of numerous podcasts, including Hansel Minutes. How's it going, Scott? How are you? I am good. Thanks for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. So real quick, we're going to talk about our feedback for the week. So we had two people uh, put on Twitter statuses. So what were those, Carl? Do you have those handy? Yes, we had uh, Aaron Morell. It looks like he's from New Zealand. Uh, He heard about us through our previous guest, J.D. Trask. Uh, He said uh, it was a great podcast, and he found out why his screens didn't turn off, because we talked about how Chrome can disable those power settings. Mm -hmm. So uh, thanks, Aaron, for the positive comments. And the other one was from uh, Glenn Smith that he uh, requested that we do some future episode on TypeScript. He's really pumped about it at the moment. Yeah, that was a really good idea. Yeah, it is. And it's, uh, goes, we try to rotate between the different types of topics as well. And that's uh, JavaScript is something we haven't talked about for a while. So that's a really good comment. Perfect. So keep those comments coming. Uh, so if you want, send us feedback to feedback at msdevshow.com if you want to send it directly. Otherwise, you can leave a comment on Facebook, on iTunes. We really appreciate those iTunes reviews. That helps uh, spread the word about the show. So let's jump into the news. What do we got, Carl? Flipboard releases open source code. The Flipboard, the company, uh, released some code, and it looks like what they're doing is they're interacting with the canvas instead of the DOM. Because for them, the DOM is too slow to get all of their uh, effects, uh, the page flipping and everything else that they're doing. Um, one of the things is because thing items on the canvas are GPU accelerated. Uh, have you heard about this, Scott, at all? I have not, but I, I do know that with things like uh, Fade, which is a Silverlight implementation in JavaScript, they also go straight to the canvas. I think that for a lot of people, the canvas is the uh, it's a bit of a default. It's a little bit of a hack you know, because it's, it's what we call owner draw, you know, whenever we wanted to uh, do something we were not supposed to do in Windows 3.1, we just say, ah, screw it, I'll owner draw that, which means give me a rectangle and I'll handle the rest of it. I, I, I can see that, although when the entire world does that, not only do you have a bit of a hacky web, but you also shut it down for blind people. Oh, if the object point. doesn't exist in the DOM, then it's not accessible object. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, I haven't had time to play around with like React yet. Um this looked. Uh, this did look interesting, though how they were how they were doing this and and how they got to this conclusion. Anything else you want to say on this one, Carl? No, I just wanted to bring that out there. If anybody needed to, you know, tweak a little bit of performance out of something like that, you know, that might be one way of doing it. Okay, and we'll have a link to that in the show notes. And then this next one, I really like this one. So this is the best new Windows 10 phone features in six GIFs or GIFs, whichever way you want to pronounce it. <laughs> yeah, uh, this past week, uh, Windows. 10 for phone uh, released on a certain a number of devices. And what's really nice is there's this article by Gizmodo that just shows you graphically with animated GIFs what they are. So if you have a device that's supported, um, we'll have a list of that in the show notes. Uh, you can check it out before you risk upgrading your device. Right. Yeah, the one that I hadn't heard about, there's this gigantic tile in here that takes up half of the screen on the phone that they're showing. With That, that one was news to me. Yeah, uh, my favorite feature actually is on the keyboard. Um, a lot of people have complained about how the cursor management is. Right. And uh, there's essentially a, a digital nubbin from like the Lenovo keyboards. Yeah. And uh, I find it very, very natural and easy to use. So that that's currently my, my favorite feature. 
Oh, you did you you didn't put this on your main phone, right? Or are you using your no. 635 as your main phone now? When something like this comes out, I'll just carry an extra phone just so I can keep testing uh, stuff like this. But my main phone is an HTC 8X and uh, I put it on my uh, secondary dev phone. Okay. Yeah, I put it on my 635 and it actually, it works, it works pretty good. I haven't run into a whole lot of issues. Did you try this out yet, Scott? I have not. I'm afraid I'm an iPhone person. Okay. Well, and it's, uh, it's not even, it's not compatible with very many Windows phones. Uh, surprisingly not. There is a hack on Paul Thorat's uh, blog about how to get it on a 1020, but I would not do that. I know that. I look, think it is extremely really early. I would encourage people to not risk their phones. Because I think it had to do with like partition management, which I don't know. Partitions on a phone seems like something you really don't want to mess with whenever you well, have. Well, it's a bit of a reminder that this is in fact a uh, computer that you have, a tiny pocket supercomputer. Yeah. Well, that's the interesting thing about this. So one thing I noticed in the in the Windows 10 preview for the phone is that the, you know, now that it's the shared app architecture, you have the exact same apps running. You'll notice that that some things have a white background and the the fonts match the desktop and and it's you're basically getting the same interface in there. Well, it's and, not the same binary though. Right, right, right. But the point is that they're they're making is a lot of the old apps got thrown away yeah, and more shared code. Yeah, a lot more shared code. Before. Yeah, exactly. And it you can really see that now and you can tell that there's some some polish it has to get done, but it's it's interesting how that's starting to uh, to shape up. And this is really nice that we've gotten really early access to a preview like this. Uh, let's see the next one here. You don't know JS uh, book series. So I found this one. This one is really neat because this is uh, uh, this is somebody who's working on a book, Kyle Simpson. So he's working on uh, this JavaScript book and he put it in GitHub. So you can actually read everything ahead of time. So you can't actually buy this yet, but you can read all of the chapters are done. It's actually fairly complete so far. Um, so I went through and I was reading some of the sections and it's, it's pretty well written. There's a, I learned a few things from this. Yeah. Just in my first 30 seconds of you giving me this link, I went just into the middle of the book and I immediately started picking up a few concepts. Granted, I'm not a JavaScript developer day in and day out, but there's a, there's a lot of really good examples that he gives and, uh, including things that might trip you up a bit and, you know, why they are the way they are. Right. Like scoping is the one with JavaScript as well as, yeah. uh, you know, that was particularly the yeah. one that, uh, because you can actually assign a variable before it's declared in JavaScript. Right. <laughs> so, uh, we'll have a link to that in the show notes. I recommend checking that one out. Uh, that's, it seems to be one of the better JavaScript books other than, um, you know, there's like JavaScript, the, the good parts, but this is, this is just sort of walking through everything and it's very modern. It even, it finishes talking about ECMAScript six. So it's worth checking out. Okay, so let's get to Scott. So Scott, what are you working on these days? Well, we're trying to ship ASP.NET 5, which mm-hmm. was formerly called ASP.NET vNext, and trying to make sure that everyone has a good experience, not just when they're using the product, but everything from the moment where you decide you want to get involved. So that's, you know, you go and you Google with Bing for uh, ASP.NET vNext, what kind of an experience do you have? Are you able to get it quickly? Are you able to download it on any platform? If you're on Linux, are you able to go apt-get.net and then run you know, OmniSharp at omnisharp.net and use the editor of choice? Mm-hmm. How many uh, clicks, how many interactions, how much trouble is it for you to make that happen? Is your experience good all the way from the moment that you acquired and decided to get interested in .NET to the point where you actually publish your app? So I'm kind of the 
the PM of miscellaneous. I, I pick up the balls, while others might be like a PM of publishing or a PM of this dialogue box right. or a PM of that feature. I try to be the uh, the twenty thousand foot view. If that makes a sense. Mm-hmm. So, are you? Whenever you say that, whenever you're trying to make that that you know sort of that first five minute experience really good, is that uh, is that targeted at new users or is that also existing users? I I, I personally. Uh, I tell these kind of stories internally, these kind of, I make up these archetypes. There's there's the older engineer, the kind of the person who's been doing .NET for 10 years uh, person, that, that kind of archetype that we are interested in keeping. But that's not the audience, I don't think, for ASP.NET 5. The audience is the, you know, the 15-year-old girl who went to a hackathon, you know, or the, the, the 12-year-old boy who's into, you know, Minecraft. Because mm-hmm. at some point, they're going to get introduced to .NET, and they're either going to go, oh, that's just COBOL, right? That's my par- that's what my parents coded in. Uh, you know, or they're going to go, oh, wow, you know, I can do Ruby, I can do Python, I can do .NET, I can do, and it'll, it'll come up in that list of things. Right. So if you're, you know, at a command line on a machine, whether it be Windows, Linux, or Mac, and you're thinking, I want to do Ruby, Go, Python, .NET, whether it be F-sharp or C-sharp or VB, needs to come off of that list very, very, you know, it needs to be in that list very quickly mm-hmm. and um, be a kind of a member of that team. So then fast forward five or 10 years when that 15-year-old girl starts Facebook version two, uh, .NET's in the running. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's a good way of looking at it. Uh, so what is new in the next version of .NET and ASP.NET vNext or version five specifically that has you excited? Well, I mean, certainly cross-platform is the obvious thing. Right. Just the idea that the core CLR is now open source. And I went and did an interesting blog post, actually, where I sucked in the core CLR GitHub repository into Power BI. Yeah, I saw that. That was analytics. very cool. Isn't that cool? It's surprising, mm-hmm. though, wasn't it? Yeah, I, I, I hadn't looked into Power BI much. Um, you know, we talk about it quite a bit. It, I always talk about the getting data into Azure and then storing it. And then it's always sort of a small discussion, like, and then you can make sense of it and do these really cool things and make, you know, make it look really cool for the end user. Uh, so that was a really good introduction to that at how easy it was. Yeah. It's a pretty compelling, pretty compelling piece of software. Uh, so running cross platform, of course, I'm really excited about OmniSharp, you know, kind of an open mm-hmm. tools platform for, for working with any editors. So if people are not familiar, they can go to omnisharp.net. It's a family of open source projects. We've done, done some, um, some cat herding and got all of the different groups together. Uh, and you can run .NET code and get IntelliSense in Atom, Vim, Brackets, Sublime, you know, basically anywhere you want to go, Emacs whatever makes you happy. So, you know, your language of choice, your runtime of choice on your operating system and your editor of choice. I think that's pretty exciting. Yeah. I think the, the, of your choices is key. I mean, whenever I'm talking to partners and customers that comes up all the time, they're like, well, I'd love to use your stuff, but you know, we're running Linux on a device. Oh, no problem. You know, as you go through and have that discussion, there's always a combination of Microsoft plus these other technologies that's, that works very well together. Well, the other thing is that, are do they really mean that, right? Like, we have all been in those customer meetings, those of us in the yep. Microsoft world, where someone says, I'd really like to use your stuff, but it's not on Linux. They, they say that. Mm-hmm. Let's see if that's the case, right? Do they want it to run on Linux? Maybe they do. Maybe they're at AWS, or maybe they have a small Linode box. Uh, or they just want the option to be able to run it on right, Linux. Right, right. Know? Ultimately, the nice part about this is that if they want to run the thing on Azure in Linux or on Azure in Windows, they can do either one of those. So whatever makes them happy. Exactly. So as a whole, what is, you know, you talked about making this great for new people, but what about the existing community? How has their response been to the changes that are happening in, in version 5 of ASP.NET? 
Well, this is the the the, the blessing and the curse about doing something out in the open. Um, everybody gets to have an opinion, uh, and sometimes I get into trouble with my my reach because I can you know tweet something and a non trivial number of people will see it. So if I go and tweet a GitHub issue thinking I'm doing a good thing. Uh, inevitably it'll bring everyone out of the woodwork and then they'll all kind of you know have their opinion. And community work is important, but designed by committee also can be a problem. And um, you also, by tweeting and doing things like that as a part of your design process, you're introducing uh, uh, some skew because did you tweet at a certain time? Did you, you hit English speakers, you know? You hit English speakers on Twitter, English speakers on Twitter within a, t- a certain time zone, right? Did the Australians get involved? What about the Chinese? You know, what about the other people? So if you design your framework around the Westerners that happen to be up at the time that you tweeted something, uh, I don't really, basically I'm saying I don't take Twitter polls into consideration really anymore. So it's a little bit challenging. People have lots of opinions, especially about branding. Some people don't like the idea that it's MVC6, on ASP.NET 5, mm-hmm. and they get a little bit confused. But, you know, the stack is the stack, right? Like, there's, there's a certain Ruby version of Ruby. There's a certain version of Rails. There's also, are you running JRuby? Are you running regular Ruby? Which version of Ruby? Which jams are you running? I mean, if anyone thinks that Microsoft is alone in having confusing versioning and naming stuff, they need to maybe take a look at some of the other Yeah, like an entity framework jumping up to version 4 to match the framework. That comes to mind. Yeah, I mean, crazy stuff happens. Yeah. .NET 3.5 SP1 is the most egregious example, and hopefully <laughs> we're done with that. Yeah. It, even though, like you said, we your project has been very open, there are some people that just aren't on those mediums that are being hit. What what do you think that those people, what kind of surprises are they in for if they're an ASP veteran? Well, that's an interesting question. So I'm pretty good about being inclusive and getting the word out to a lot of people. You would definitely have to be not using the internet to at least not know this was going on. Uh, we go to YouTube, and we have a Google Hangout every week. We have Twitter. We have Facebook. We have Google+. So if you're in no social media, and you don't read YouTube, and you never hit the ASP.NET homepage, then you're what I would call a dark matter developer. And dark matter developers take up the large portion of the space of the universe, but we can't prove that they exist Mm -hmm. because I can't count what I can't see. So the question is, then, how do you reach them? Well, I try to get out to user groups. I've been doing a lot of virtual user group visits. I met with uh, some folks in Greece on Thursday. Basically, it was 50 folks in Greece, but they were really, really enthusiastic. They have a really great user uh, group over there. Uh, maybe they're not all on Twitter at the same time I'm on Twitter, but I got to Skype in and we did a full hour on ASP.NET. We do uh, customer visits. I did a customer visit recently uh, with a company and looked at their code. Uh, so basically a virtual customer visit. We do physical customer visits where we fly people out to like, you know, Aflac or someplace like that and uh, and talk to them. Uh, so I don't know. If you're not paying attention, you're definitely not going to get into the, uh, get into the message. But... Uh, at the same time, what are they in for? They're in for a lot of changes, but also concept compatibility. It's not like going from web forms to MVC, right? It's still mm-hmm. model view controller. It's still web API. It's still signal R, but we've merged the uh, controllers. So there's no API controller and a MVC controller. They're just called controller. Some people like that. Some people don't. I like it. There's an all new um, project system. So then rather than CS proj, you just basically open a folder and there's a project.json in there. So kind of curly braces rather than angle brackets. I like that too. Uh, 
doing a build doesn't actually do a build, so you don't actually produce a binary. Instead, you basically do a spell check. Mm-hmm. Uh, when the thing is run, the assembly is emitted into memory with Roslyn. Uh, that way, you don't have to load the source code, compile it in memory, emit the assembly onto disk, write to the disk, then turn around and then read back the thing you just wrote onto the disk and then run that and jit it. <laughs> well, so when you, you say it that way. <laughs> well, think about it. You bypass yeah, a, lot of, a lot of you know, totally unnecessary yep. stuff. So, so that's cool. So we do that. Um, I mean, I, I don't know. I could list out all of the all the details, but if people go to asp.net slash vnext, mm-hmm. that's where the um, community standups are. That's actually kind of the most innovative thing from a social perspective we've been doing. Every Tuesday, uh, we alternate. Next one is going to be at 3.30 on Tuesday, and then we alternate back and forth. So 10 a.m. and 3 p.m. trying to... Uh, Pacific time? Pacific time. Trying to cover, you know, basically if we hit two spans over an eight-hour period that allows us to get most people. You're either going to work or you're coming home from work. Right. So we do these Google Hangouts, then we stream them live to YouTube and archive them. You can see the list. So if you wanted to learn about, you know, configuration, for example, you can go back and find that episode where we sat with the engineer who was writing configuration. They worked on a whiteboard and explained the design and then, you know, go and comment on the GitHub issues. It's extremely interactive. Very cool. So should I run out and switch all my projects whenever this comes out? Yes and no. You should be aware and you should see if your projects compile and you should see what's going to be involved, but I think you should be cross-compiling right now. When you go file new project in ASP.NET 5, you will get a project that compiles against ASP.NET 5, uh, excuse me, ASP.NET MVC 6, rather, and .NET 5. See, I just got confused. Um, you, will, you will get an application that runs on both the .NET full framework, right. uh, 4.5.2 or 4.5.3, the, the one that is in the GAC, you know, like the, the 250 megs needs a reboot framework, mm-hmm. and simultaneously compile against the 13 meg little core CLR. And it will, you know, kind of fork and compile t- to both. That way you can say, oh, I see that, you know, these four pages or these subsystems are not going to work on core CLR. We're going to need to figure out a way around that. That way it's not a surprise come the end of the year or whenever this thing ships that you're going to go, oh, crap. Okay, you know, that's a good point. That. Mm. Yeah, so cross-compile your stuff. That way you have a choice. Yeah, so what happens when I actually open those projects? Do the project files end up disappearing then? The old XML project files? Today there's no migration. You'd have to basically make a new project and then move stuff over a little bit at a time. Okay. It's very different, though, because if you think about CSProj, CSProj is a list of stuff to compile. Yep. Well, this system doesn't have a list of stuff to compile. It basically just compiles the folder. And then it uses what's called globbing, G-L-O-B. Globbing is like more sophisticated directory star.stars. Yep. Like, you know, when you mastered like star.foo and star.bar, this is more like star slash star star slash star.foo. Yep. You know? And I think that's the default for git ignores, right? Yeah. But it's not something that Windows people are deeply familiar with, right. although people with Unix experience are. So for the most part, it's just exclusionary, right? You want to mm-hmm. include everything in this folder except those things. Uh, so you don't have to add stuff to a CS project anymore. You just need to make sure it's in a folder. So make a new one and move stuff over. As far as migration, we haven't even thought about it yet. Okay. It's Like I say, it's concept compatible, which means that you know, your controllers should work. But if you're breaking rules, like if you're using HTTP context.current and you're poking around in the session where you shouldn't be, or you're you know, rewriting HTTP modules, those things are, are not going to work. Right, right. The pipeline is different, but the concepts are the same. Yeah, the lack of merge conflicts on the project file alone makes it worth it for me. <laughs> yeah, you know, everyone's got their own uh, their own problem that is their pet problem. Right. And for some people, it's the CS Proj merging in Teams. 
you know, for others, it's middleware. Uh, for others, it's portability or being able to choose a web server. We try to cover them all. Okay. Uh, any, we're going to shift gears here unless there's anything else you want to say about ASP.NET V next. No, just get involved, you know, be happy and, and use what makes you happy. That's about the choice. I actually did a blog post recently about how to get Ruby on Rails running on IIS. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you could now get like Go on Java running in Azure if you wanted to, or JRuby in Azure. Uh, th- this this Microsoft is not your grandmother's Microsoft. It is uh, all about choice. So if you know people ask me questions, I'm not very often. I just come back with you. Use what makes you happy. Right, right. And these pipelines tend to be extremely extensible, like you mentioned. I mean, you can plug you can plug your your rendering engine and your pipeline of choice in wherever you want. Generally speaking, these days, yeah, a lot. Most most good open pipelines are extensible, and that is the success that that is success if you think about an open pipeline. Yep, exactly. Okay, so shifting gears to community, one thing, so a lot of these questions are are just things that I've kind of wondered and wanted to ask you for a long time, so we just sort of compiled these, and this is a good chance yeah. to ask them. It's just like the lightning round here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's like a slow, long lightning round. A slow, tedious lightning round. <laughs> a slow, tedious lightning <laughs> round. Um, so I'm curious if you feel, you know, I, I kind of feel like blogging has gotten less important uh, these days. Like, my blog used to be, you know, it wasn't like the, the most popular blog in the world, but, um, you know, I got a fair number of hits and it seems like it's, it's dwindled over time. And I think part of that could be attributed to, you know, it could be my fault as well, but it seems like people have shorter attention spans. It's more, you know, what, who can make the better Twitter headline. And, uh, and that's kind of the driving, that was one of the driving forces behind starting this show is that we know a lot of people listen to podcasts while they're, you know, working out in the gym or doing something like that. So I'm kind of curious if you think that blogging in general, if it's gotten any more or less important than it was, you know, say five or 10 years ago. So you were, I was, I was with you at the beginning part of your first sentence. And then (laughs) when you said less important, you lost me. I don't think it's less important. I think people are lazy. I think it's easy to tweet. And I think, you know, with all due respect, with all due respect to the friends that I have who do work for places like BuzzFeed, it is, uh, it's just, it's the BuzzFeedification, the Huffington Postification, yep. like, you know, the, the uh, you know, I compiled the core CLR and you won't believe what happened next. You know, that kind of crap is easy. Mm-hmm. It's lazy. It's, the, it's TMZ. Uh, for you know programming, and I think that Twitter came out, and people were like, eh, you know, long form, you know, long form writing sucks. At the same time, though, outside the tech community, things like Medium, uh, Medium.com are making blogging or quote unquote blogging, maybe not blogging where you own your own domain, which I th- still think you should, but long form writing is as important as ever. I think just programmers are, are lazy. People will think that I'm being like imp- you know punitive. I think it's just they don't maybe feel like they're heard. But I'll tell you this. A an angry tweet, a complaining tweet, a passive aggressive tweet is not going to get me or anyone on the .NET team to change uh, a product. That's a good point. It's just going to make you look like a jerk. Uh, there's a lot of like, ah, oh, Azure's down. Ah, oh, these people suck. You know, oh my God, oh those putts is over. I mean, every freaking day I get these passive aggressive subtweets mm-hmm. about some product they don't want. And apparently, you have the time to just you know. Uh, be a jerk, which is effectively. I mean, a mean tweet is the is the technological equivalent of putting a, a rudely phrased uh, post-it note under my windshield wiper and expecting me to change my behavior. <laughs> and and what, you know what people I mean? at, the, what people that don't work at Microsoft don't understand too is that I'm sure you get this as well. Like we essentially own like everything that Microsoft has ever done and whatever everything they're doing today and what they ever will do. You know, I get. I get random questions and complaints about things that, that I have no influence on. And I'm sure you do as well. 
Well, I mean, I certainly try to route them. I mean, I will yeah. always try to help. But my, right. my my little rant there, my little complaint is just that. Uh, do you really think that 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 you're going to catch more uh, flies with vinegar like that? You know what I mean? Right. It's, just, it's not going to happen. So yes, long uh, blogging and long form writing is absolutely important. And a number of times I have to explain to people that if you want to fix something. You know, give me a bug report. And if you want to fix something that's a larger problem, that's not a bug, but more of a philosophical one, a well-phrased, thoughtfully written, long-form post with kindness, I can link to and I can give to my vice president. But a nasty tweet, there's not enough that can be said in 140 characters. Unless it's a screenshot with a yellow screen of death, I'm not interested in that opinion. Right. That's get a good invo- point. Get involved and stop complaining. No, really good point. I'm still here. I've been here seven years. I'm pushing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Let's push together. Right. So do you ever speak to uh, computer science classes or people that are at that stage in their careers? And if so, what what do you tell them? What kind of advice do you have? Um, I talk to I talk to high school students. I talk to um, I talk to a uh, bunch of fourth graders last week. Uh, I'm going to talk to a bunch of tw- 10th graders next Friday. Uh, I talked to the exploring engineering class at Portland Community College, which would be like 18 to 22. Uh, so, you know, every age from first grade up to age 20. And I, you know, I try to set them straight. Be nice is a pretty straightforward thing to explain to people. I think sometimes it's easier to understand that when you are a little bit younger and you don't. Oh, yeah. Teach people to be nice early. So I recently heard, I think it was on the .NET Rocks podcast, they were talking, uh, they had Uncle Bob Martin on and he was talking about how the majority of the programmers out there have less than five years of experience. And he walked through like mathematically how that's the case. Uh, but I wanted to see if that was kind of your experience in the community. And uh, I was I was curious if that's changing how you approach the community. What did he say? He said that uh, the majority of programmers have less than five years of experience because I I believe. Oh, that, I mean, that's that's anecdotal. I mean, I don't know if that's true or not. Well, uh, he went through kind of a mathematical explanation. It was slightly anecdotal, but it sounds like a back of the napkin. But there, yeah, because there was uh, there was basically it was built on this other fact that was saying that the number of programmers doubles every five years. So, so half the programmers would have less than five years of experience. I can't. I don't know. It sounds like. I mean, Uncle. I like Uncle Bob. He's a very nice person. Yeah. But I, I think that that sounds like it's a back of the napkin thing. It's like doing the calculation that tells you how many habitable Earth-like planets there are. Right. Right. You know, all it takes is one miscalculation, and you go from you know a hundred million to a hundred trillion. So there are somewhere between eleven million and a hundred million programmers out there. Are you counting hobbyists? Are you counting newbies? Are you you know what are you doing? Um, there, there's a lot and a lot of them are young. Sure. Old people die. Young mm-hmm. people don't. So, you know, I don't know what to tell you. I, I will say though, that like I've been getting involved as a, as a content advisor with the code newbie podcast that I would encourage people to check out. Even if you're not a code newbie, it's a C O D E N E W B I E code newbie. It's a community on every Wednesday. They get together on, um, Twitter and they talk and we're going to be doing a, a, a series of podcasts in March. I'll talk about it at the end. Um, those kinds of welcoming environments that are non-threatening, that let people know that coding is fun and we're all here to help, that's what's important for, for young people, to, to know that you know, you're, not, you're not unwelcome. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's kind of what I was asking was, you know, if, you were, if you were gearing any of your uh, information for, for these people that are just trying to get started. I know we like to, we like to live on the cutting edge sometimes, and I was curious how much of the, the work you were doing with uh, people trying to get into the industry. I just try to be as kind as possible. Right. I mean, like if you I, actually, if you look at this week, or at least the week we're recording this, the week of the 16th of February, I was on the Code Newbie podcast talking about exactly that, how important it is to be 
uh, to be kind, to be welcoming, to be patient. Uh, the story that I tell on that podcast is that there was a, uh, a Saturday Night Live skit with Jimmy Fallon that was called um, Nick Burns, Your Company's yep. Computer Guy. <laughs> you remember that? Oh, it was hilarious. Right? And people would, people would come over and be like, you know, hey, Nick, I'm trying to get my printer to work. And he would be like, oh, fine. You know what I mean? Like, what, what did you do? And he's like, oh, well, you know, I, I try to print here and it goes over to there. And then he's like, ah, well, that's because, you know, you went to the finder instead of like, you know, and it's like, oh, God, like I've met that person. Like we've all met that person. And do you honestly think that a 12-year-old can handle that kind of, you know, beratement and not just say, yeah. forget it. I don't want to be a computer person. Yeah, don't you wish people solve their problems before asking for help? <laughs> like that's how absurd it is, right? Yeah, exactly. So you work remotely and... I know myself and Jason, we've worked quite a bit with remote people, including people who have had dedicated virtual presence and other technology to assist them. I just noticed on Twitter, somebody showed a screenshot of you having a remote controlled virtual presence. Can you explain that and how, you know, this kind of technology, you know, changes your career? Uh, I don't know if it changes your career. Well, it's a webcam on a robot. But but at the, I guess what I'm getting to is, I mean, this allows you a type of freedom that you might not otherwise have. Does it not? No, I, I don't think that it is a kind of a freedom. It is, it, is, it is a crutch. It is the definition of a crutch. It is allowing me to do something I would be otherwise unable to do, right? I've got an iPod or an iPad on a stick on wheels wandering around in Building 44 up in Seattle. Uh, it has no arms, though. Mm-hmm. It can't push the button on the elevator. You know what I mean? So I'm effectively, you know, a, a, a remote disabled person. So well, I, I made the I made the comment. You don't want to go in the elevator anyway because the Wi-Fi is bad. <laughs> well, basically, it's like I'm coming in. Push me out on the second floor. And, you know, <laughs> hope that I reconnect. Right? Yeah. So uh, does it change my career? No, but it is something that's it's, it. It gives you a sense of connection to other humans more than it would. Uh, uh, if you were just linked, like there's, there's a physicality about being a remote worker that I think people forget about this right. idea that um, it's hard to connect to a 13 inch laptop with a tiny shrunken head at the, you know, at the, the, the end of the, the conference room. It's like, Hey, Hey everybody, remember me? You know, I have influence because it's like, you don't occupy space. You have no presence. Mm-hmm. There's no, there's no physical space occupied by you. You're just a flat panel. So you know, getting a sense of height and space and movement and, and uh, you know, the kinesthetics of it uh, helps you at least be less remote. I'm frankly surprised that some younger people can truly work remotely with people only on, um, on things like, uh, like Gitter or Slack or IRC. You know, there's, there's something to be said for team building. You know, going bowling occasionally is really important. Mm, right. I think part of this comes back to is uh, when Jason and I worked together, we had a, a, a coworker who lived in a different state and we had a, a, a virtual presence in a cubicle. And the thing was, you know, not how it changed our workflow, but when people from other parts of the company would come by, whether they're in accounting or some somewhere else, they'd stop and look at him. And he actually knew more people that worked in our building than I did mm-hmm. because of the conversations that and and the novelty yeah. of it. Yeah. I think that the remote workers are always paranoid though about being remote workers and they will work a little bit harder to make sure that they know everybody. So that's that's not surprising that your friend was that connected. Right. We we go out of our way to make sure we're talking to everybody. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah, so I'm kind of curious how often do you get up to Redmond? Every 6 to 8 weeks. Oh, okay. It's about 4 hour drive. Yeah, I was one thing I was kind of yeah, curious four. about 
you know, I, I, I was thinking in terms of like the, the, the Redmond bubble and sort of the event horizon of that. And I don't know where exactly that ends, but do you find it useful to be, you know, sort of off campus like you are? Well, I always joke about the idea of the, uh, the, the Redmond reality distortion field. Yeah. You know, like this, this, this bubble that, that people in Redmond are trapped around. And I think, you know, I tease about it a little bit and I hope that when people from Redmond, uh, hear that they're not too offended, but it is a thing though, right? Mm-hmm. If you came out of school at 19 and went to work directly for Microsoft and have been there for 20 years, you, you, you have to intellectualize that your it, it changes your behavior. Mm-hmm. It changes who you are. It makes you a different person. Um, that's neither a bad thing nor a good thing, right? If you grew up in Japan for the first 19 years of your life, you're going to be a different person yeah, than if you grew up somewhere else. It just is what else. it is. It is what it is. But it, denying it, denying that it is a thing, is is what I don't like. Like, I'll meet someone who's like a 40-year-old who's been at Microsoft 20 years, and they'll tell me how they know how the how the world works. Mm-hmm. Well, you know how your world works, right? But maybe mm-hmm. someone else may have mm-hmm. gone to, you know, four different startups, five years each. They're going to have a much different experience. Yeah. So can you tell me about some of the experiences you've had recently with your 3D printer? I saw some of your initial stuff talking about it, and I don't have one. I've always kind of been interested in them. So can you tell me what it's been like owning one? Yeah, we're jealous, of course. Well, so <laughs> people people have said that, like, oh, wow. you know, And some people have even kind of said that, you know, I'm glad that you have the money to, uh, to buy a 3D of printer. Course. But that's silliness. Yeah. Because I, I went and I gave this presentation to these third graders, about the 3D printer, and they were like, oh, you know, you must be rich. And it was like, well, who here has a Wii? And, like, hands go up. Yeah. You know, who here, who here has an Xbox? And, you know, mm-hmm. most of the hands remain. I said, okay, well, the 3D printer cost as much as the Wii plus the Xbox. And then they got it immediately. They got the value proposition, the idea, like, they just said value proposition in the context of a third grader. <laughs> <laughs> um, I need to move farther away from Redmond at this point. Yeah. Um, but, you know, th- that's... That made them realize that, wow, okay, I could have had the Xbox or I could have bought the 3D printer. You know, right. I mean, they are different things. Uh, it just, you know, it costs $599. And I've had a, I have had definitely $599 worth of entertainment out of the thing. So already, if I stop using it today, I've got my money's worth. It is 100% within reach of most people. That's pretty cool. Now, anything, you know, talking about these kind of technologies, is there anything else that you're interested in, but you just haven't had time to dive into? Like in life or in 3D printing? <laughs> I, I guess either. I guess I was thinking more in life, but I mean, there's a lot of stuff out there oh, that yeah. we I can mean, all do. There's a whole wide world, right? You know, travel. Uh, I would like to do better square foot gardening. My square foot garden kind of looks crappy right now. My yard looks like crap. Um, you know, woodworking. Uh, you know, I like to get a radial arm saw. I like to learn how to do all like, I have to learn how to use a radial arm saw. You know, I mean, <laughs> yoga. I mean, everything. Come on. Yeah. What would I? What would I not want to? Uh, I, I, <laughs> napping, you know. I was considering <laughs> Olympic Olympic level napping at some point. So uh, back to the 3D printer. I'm kind of curious. <laughs> kind of nice curious. Segue. Yeah, <laughs> I'm kind of curious if. Uh, yeah, that one didn't pan out. Um, I'm kind of <laughs> curious. Like, have you printed? What have you printed from the 3D printer that's been useful that might actually justify something like that? That's been useful. Yeah. Have I printed five hundred ninety nine dollars worth of useful stuff? Well, I'm guessing probably not. I probably printed about fifty. But no, I printed about fifty bucks worth of useful stuff. Okay. I printed a bracket that I can uh, hang my vacuum cleaner on the wall in my garage. Okay. I printed you know toys for the kids. I printed a stand for my TV set. I printed a camera holder for my Raspberry Pi. I printed a couple Raspberry Pi uh, cases. Um, 
This is not video recorded, I assume, so nope. I can't really sh- hold it up and show it to you. <laughs> I printed this, I printed a bunch of stuff to help the printer itself, the the, the base for the thing, yep. the 3D, the the spool for it. Uh, I printed uh, a, a vase and a pencil holder for my you know for my dad. Uh, I printed a bracket for his broken vacuum cleaner because one of the the loops that holds the wire broke. Um, you know, you you give me a room full of broken remote controls, and I will print the battery, <laughs> the battery cover doors for them, my friends. So, you know, is is there? Am I doing useful work? Yes, I'm doing the good Lord's work. Absolutely. Okay, I was kind of curious because it's one of those gadgets. What I, you know, I'd love to figure out a way to justify it. But if you you're know. if you're just print, well, I mean, I'm doing as much work as someone who got a radial arm saw, and they're trying to figure out, you know, what am I going to build? Right for a while, they're just going to cut a bunch of two by fours and then eventually they'll build an armoire, but you know, baby steps, right? Yep. Uh, so you, you recently had a, an amazing, uh, AMA for people who don't know, that's asked me anything on career Dean. That was, that was the first time I ever heard of that site. So I was kind of curious if there were any questions that you were hoping that would be asked that were not. No, I did probably more, according to the guy who runs career Dean, I did more questions in that hour, I think I did like 144 questions in an hour. Yeah, it was, was pretty complete. I was di- well. The trick was I was dictating with my little startup application, so I was able to to type faster than quote unquote type faster than other people could. Okay. Um, no, it was pretty good. It was basically lots of questions about interviewing and junior engineers and all that kind of stuff. Career Dean is they're doing a pretty good job of marketing. I must give them credit for that. They're and they're doing AMAs a couple two or three a day right now. Okay, it's pretty neat. So one, you know, talking about Microsoft and about, you know, kind of the bubble and press, I'm kind of curious, you know, I just, sometimes I feel like Microsoft can do no right. You know, I, I've heard people say like they could, they could announce a cure for cancer and they'd still get bad press. So I'm curious if you think, you know, how hopeful are you that that's, that perception is going to change over time? I did a blog post a while back called, uh, Microsoft killed my pappy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, if Microsoft does, in fact, kill your pappy or destroy your world or, you know, discontinue Fox Pro, you know, you're probably going to be mad forever. I think things like the Xbox help. I think things like the HoloLens will help. I think that having a really nice CEO is helpful. Yeah. Uh, if Windows 10 is better than Windows 8, that'll be cool, right? You know, if, if monotonically increasing numbers continue to get bigger as they should, Windows 10 and Windows whatever get better and better. I mean, I think it's not something that you're going to undo in a year, right? Mm-hmm. It's only been a year or two since Windows 8. Uh, and it's been, what, six or five or six years since Vista. It's generational, right? I, I think that at the same time, though, if Apple keeps, you know, I, I have an iOS, I have an iPhone mm-hmm. 6 right now, and it's ridiculous. It's very unstable. It crashes a couple times a week. Definitely, like, iOS 8 is the Windows Vista of of iPhone you know, releases right now. Um, and if they keep doing stuff that's lame, if Google keeps, you know, doing creepy stuff, it's going to all even out, and I think we'll all be equally evil. Right. But I don't, I don't know. But the other thing to remember, though, is that I don't, while I care about Microsoft as a larger company, I can only influence the one piece. So I, I worry about the open web platform and try to stay off the consumer stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I am just a, you know, I am a user of Windows. I don't have any secret builds of Windows that work differently than anyone else's. Right, no. <laughs> uh, so back to your AMA. So you had a lot of questions in there about people, you know, it seemed like a lot of people were were sort of fishing on how do I get a job? How do I get into Microsoft? And I'm sure you get asked that all the time. So what is your usual answer to that? Uh, I remind people that being a social developer is extremely important. A resume, all the resume succeeds in doing is getting you the interview. And then from that point, you actually have to talk or perform or whatever, right? 
So personal relationships. And personal relationships aren't cold calling someone and asking them to get you an interview um, or meeting someone at a user group and then five minutes into that meeting asking them to get you an interview, right? It's about meeting someone, going to bed, waking up the next day, seeing them a second time, and being consistent. You see what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. it's that second meeting that's important, and I think people forget that. Uh, I am much more likely to help out someone that I've seen over the course of a year at a user group, and each time I see them, they are cheerful and and positive and upbeat, you know, and then, you know, it's eight, ten months into it, they're like, hey, you know, I'm looking for a gig right now. Oh, all right, yeah, let me see what I can do, and I'll ask around. That's social development. It doesn't have anything to do with typing in a keyboard. It has nothing to do with hotkeys or picking the IDE of choice. It's just about being kind, awesome, consistently. So get out there. And if you take a look at getinvolvedintech.com, that is a two-hour-long movie that uh, documentary that Rob Connery and I did, and we convinced Pluralsight to release it for free. So people can watch that with no sign-in, getinvolvedintech.com. I didn't realize that. I thought you all had to about be a subscriber. It is absolutely free, and I would encourage you to Excellent. spread the word about that. Give it to anyone. It tells you all about GitHub and blogging and Twitter and Stack Overflow. Free, 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 free. Okay. Yeah, because I, I talk to, you know, I talk to the local university every year. I always talk to the computer science class. Absolutely. And that's something I'm definitely going to pass on to them. So I think that's the that's the most, well, I shouldn't say that it's less important any other time, but that's probably the time that they need to understand that, you know, right from the beginning. Okay, so our Azure pick of the week. So this is a quick one. I'm going to have a link to this in the show notes, and maybe I'll put the audio at the end of the show. But this is a video that is less than two minutes, and it's describing Azure in less than two minutes. So if you've never done anything with Azure, this is a pretty good video. Have you seen this one, Scott? I think it was titled, it's actually titled Supercharge Your DB with VMs. And I think that, that was... seems a little... It was a little misleading. And, it, it, and you're telling me it's actually not Supercharge Your DB with VMs? It's uh, what's Azure in two minutes? Yeah. Because, because <laughs> with, you know, not, not, to, not to pick on your pick of the week, yep. but if you go to azure.com yep. and you click on Getting Started, there are two-minute videos there that just happen to be written by... And performed by yours truly. Yep. And they are literally two minutes long. Okay. I'll check. I will check that out as well. I, I don't think saying. I've seen all those. No, nope, that's just, a good point. No, just Azure.com, click on getting started. Two minutes, 49 seconds. Okay. We'll link all we'll link all these in the show notes. The one that I had, and we'll link the one on Azure.com. Thank you. Yep. Okay. App of the week, Carl. So we actually each have an app of the week. So I'll go over mine real quick. Uh, so mine is GPS Calculator Pro. This is a really cool app that I actually installed. Uh, probably a few months ago. And then I started playing around with it and I realized how cool it is. So I'm going to show it. I know we don't have video, but I'm going to show you guys. <clears throat> it's loading up right now, but this thing has everything. So it, it it's a GPS app for your phone. You can calculate distances with it. Uh, compass navigation. There's an altimeter in here. Uh, sun, moon, time zone. Uh, let's see here. Area calculation. So if you have a piece of property, you want to walk around the perimeter, you can figure out what the area of your property is. Uh, location projection. Uh, conversion between different types of GPS formats. And then there's a trip computer in here. And what's really neat about this, you can actually use this for free. Uh, It will actually track your points every few seconds. And this works uh, like if you're on an airplane and you're sitting by a window, you can actually start this app and it will tell you your altitude, your ground speed, uh, and then your coordinates. And you can actually sit there and log that. And if you have the paid version, like I do, you can actually save that out to OneDrive and then you can open up an Excel and start playing around that data. So it's a pretty neat app if you're kind of a, a data nut or if you do anything uh, anything with just kind of raw GPS navigation. It's it's a really neat app. So I'll have a link to that in the show notes. And my app of the week is the Windows Insider app. 
Now, if you have one of the supported devices, which is uh, various low-end Lumias, uh, we'll have them in the show notes, uh, you can go to win- insider.windows.com and uh, sign up to be a Windows Insider. Once you do that, you download the Windows Insider app, and then that'll unlock your phone to get the updates for Windows 10 for phone. We'll also have some uh, links to what that all gets you. Uh, you can also hit the show notes to see those animated GIFs that we talked about at the beginning of the show. But uh, if you have an extra device laying around, probably not a good idea to do it on your main device. Uh, I would check it out. And then if you don't have a device, I mean, you can grab the 635. How much is that right now, Carl? It's $49 on Amazon. 49 bucks. And it's a it's actually a good phone. Like my wife is looking at that over her iPhone 5 and she's like, eh, I think I could switch to that. So she keeps asking me about it, but I might, I might get uh, if her it weren't, I, If it weren't for the camera, I would say... You know, it, it's true. a very functional and good device, but they can't match it on photos. No, that's a good point. And, 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 and having small children like you do, there's, I wouldn't switch away from it. That's a good point. Just for the, just for the camera. Okay, Scott, we play a game here that I'm sure you're not familiar with. It is called, you gotta be kidding. So you gotta pick a number between one and four. Uh, four. Okay. And then I'm going to ask you a question here and you have to answer this. Would you rather be extremely lucky or be extremely smart, but not both lucky and smart? I reject that. <laughs> the card, you can't argue with the card. Luck, yeah, luck is, uh, what do they say? Luck is being, is uh, is opportunity and preparedness. Yeah. So yeah, if you're smart, I presume you'll be ability, you'll be able to prepare, therefore you will be both lucky and smart. So I reject your 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 idea. I would rather be smart. <laughs> so it sounds luck, like you're picking will, the second luck option. <laughs> luck, luck will happen automatically. Okay. Carl, what do you want to pick here? I'll I'll pick number two. Number two. Would you rather be born with an elephant truck trunk or a giraffe neck? I, I, I can see many uses for an elephant trunk. Uh, it's strong. You can pick things up. You, you, elephants were pretty graceful. I, I don't. I imagine myself if I had a long neck, just hitting myself on the door. So you, but so neither you would the, be. You want the elephant trunk? If I had to choose, yes. Okay, <laughs> it is done. Okay, Scott. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. Where can people find you if they want more information? <laughs> they can google for scott or <laughs> yeah. they can go to hanselman.com yeah and we have a whole we have this is like the longest list of links i've ever seen in the show notes so i'll include all of those for you that's good and carl where can they find you uh you can find me at wpdevguy.com or on twitter at carl schweitzer and you can find me at ytechie.com or on twitter at twitter.com slash ytechie so scott thanks again for coming on the show we really appreciate it, it was great talking to you my pleasure be sure to subscribe by searching for MS Dev Show in your favorite podcasting app. Leave us a review at iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, or your podcast aggregator of choice. Visit us at msdevshow.com where you can leave comments, check out our links, show notes, and more. Visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash msdevshow. You can send us your comments and feedback directly to feedback at msdevshow.com. 